0: Good morning, uh, my name is Brad, thanks, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to wrap up the book of Ephesians today before we head into our Advent series, uh, which will start next week. It'll be very fun, very Adventy, y uh, and we'll explain what that word means probably next week as well. Uh, but we're, my family and I, we're coming up on our uh, second Christmas here in Los Angeles, yeah, that's yeah. I wasn't expecting cheers, so that's cool. Thanks. And uh, yeah, looking back, as you do at these times of year, at least that's what I do. I like to look back. Uh, I'm reminded uh, just about how God has brought us here, what God's done in our lives. Uh, we started this journey of coming to LA many years ago. You now uh, it felt very current. But now you look back and like, wow, those things that were happening that, that led us here were five years ago, and God's just been so faithful. I even remember a year and a half ago as we drove uh, the long road from Oregon to Southern California, uh, just realizing besides me all being sick and, and being uh, decommissioned, I remember us being very filled with optimism, like, wow, God's about to do something really great in our lives. Uh, we can't wait uh, to arrive. And as we did, you guys greeted us so well. Uh, and for that, we're really thankful. Uh, and I honestly, I thought that the transition to being here, like a, a leader serving this church, would be really hard. Uh, I'd hung out with Tripp a couple times overseas and locally, and I thought, man, we really see eye to eye, but I bet we're going to have a lot of hard times. Uh, no, I thought people would laugh then. Everyone's not. <laughs> uh, but I actually, I really... I really love working alongside Tripp. Uh, I genuinely do. It's been amazing. Uh, I love serving alongside uh, the elders here, uh, loving uh, doing life with the missional community leaders, even in our own uh, missional community. And really, unlike any other point in my life or even in Mirella's life, we, we completely feel that God has called us so purposefully and matched like what we're good at, what we think about our perspectives with some of the needs around us. And it's just been amazing uh, being part of a really great leadership team uh, and seeing just tons of evidence of God's grace in the life of this church, even this last year. Uh, seeing a handful of people come to know Jesus. We saw people who were like, trying to plant churches all over the world. They came here for SOMA school to learn from us, which is pretty amazing. Uh, our missional communities are pretty cool. Uh, we have... Yeah, a lot to be thankful for, For even a cool website now. Um, so many good things, right? Uh, but not every moment is that way, uh, or feels like things are going great, or feels like, oh, we should be offering up a ton of thanks. Often, uh, things are really hard. Uh, life lived in this city, in this way, trying to love other people, trying to look outside of even ourselves, is really challenging. Uh, Church conflict happens, uh, if you weren't aware of that, though I'm sure you are. Uh, And it seems as though every time a new person comes and joins uh, this body, uh, another family or person moves away to some far distant place, right? It seems like every person that comes to know the faith, another person is beginning to struggle with it entirely. Um, Our missional communities struggle often to think about and to love the people around us. Meanwhile, our city is desperately needing to hear any good news at all, and what we carry is the richest of news. Uh, My neighbors or my friends that that I've made over the last year and a half continually reject the gospel of Jesus or stand offish towards even hearing about it. Our city is not flourishing with the peace of salvation. As the city gears up to decorate all sorts of things for the holidays, it seems like what we're celebrating and decorating for has nothing to do with hope and lasting peace or love or even a glimmer of faith. And what this world could be about. Uh, and often, even as recent as this past week, as recent as yesterday or this morning, I lose complete sight of what's true, uh, of what's actually going on in my life. Like, which way is up, which way is down. I struggle to enjoy even a single evidence of God's grace. Uh, my, my whole self feels vanquished. By exhaustion and lies and fears. And I find myself, despite all that's good or true or right about God, I find myself fighting a battle for just a glimmer of joy and a battle that I didn't even know existed. Uh, And that is what today's passage is all about that kind of battle. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter six, verse ten uh, through twenty, uh, and let me let me read it to us. This is the yeah the very end. He says finally, uh, which you always know when the preacher says finally, you only have about fifteen or twenty more minutes left, and that's how Paul finishes it with finally. He's not finally. See you guys later. Peace out. When in Rome, come and visit me. He drops more bombs after he says, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's God's Word. He begins by saying... There's this wrestling match. There's this battle. There's this struggle, right? It's a struggle against more than flesh and blood. That that what we're doing in life, the the, the living, the sacrifices, the suffering, the loving, the good things, the bad things, this struggle of the faith is not merely against our bones and our muscles and our neuroscience. It's against... Something that we cannot even see. He describes them this way. It's like quite the list of uh, probably these days like political uh, labels. But he says the schemes of the devil, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, ruling this present age, this present darkness. He calls them spiritual forces of evil. Later on, he calls them flaming darts of the evil one. There's this realm, this unseen reality that is motivated, that's also personal, that's evil, and it's set on the destruction of us. And that there's more to what we're fighting against, there's more to our daily lives than just what we see and what we hear. Not sociology, though that can be so important uh, to understand how people work. You know, for example, Tripp and I have been trying to get you guys to not walk out this door for a really long time, and we put all these obstacles, the same for the gate over here, and yet people like, like little mouse rats continue, you know, to go wherever you actually want. Sociology can be very important, but Paul's saying, no, this isn't just a matter of figuring out how people work. Or taking personality tests. You're fighting against more than the Enneagram. Or psychology. Or even physiology and what what makes up your life. He's saying there's a spiritual reality that's real, that has power, that's anti-gospel. And now some of you might say, there's no such thing. Uh, In our really good, enlightenment minds... We might say, well, show me the scientific method that was done by Paul to prove that there's cosmic powers, that there's a, a present darkness, that there are even evil forces at play. Show me uh, the experiment where you had a closed group and a variable group, and then at the end you could see, yes, the demons really attacked this one. I... Uh, was in a class in seminary about spiritual warfare. Uh, there were a lot of good things about it. Uh, the lecturer, uh, my professor, is a really uh, great person. But I don't really remember that much about the class. Uh, what I remember the most about the class is we were taking a break one day, and one of my colleagues who was also, he's an African person uh, who was uh, serving on the campus. It was like his job as an international student. He- the janitor, and he came in in one of our breaks and was taking the trash out, and someone asked him, well, hey, what do you think about spiritual warfare, and this, we were reading this passage, what do you think about this darkness and the flaming arrows? And he says, oh, it's completely true, it's completely real, I've seen it in my villages, I've, I've understood, I've, I've experienced it myself, of this incredible darkness lurking. I've seen it destroy people's lives. Complete wars started because of the evil that exists in this world. And then one of my classmates asked him afterwards, but if that was true, wouldn't we experience that here in the West, in our city? And then my friend became very serious and he said, oh, no, no. I've never experienced or seen pervasive evil and the power of darkness like I've experienced in America. Because you people don't think it exists. Because you don't think that there's any evil force. You put it on, well, this person was raised a certain way or this is just what's happening in our world and you do not see or acknowledge that there is something beyond flesh and blood. Now, others of you might say, Yes, there are demonic powers, the schemes of the devil, and they're in everything. Everything can come back to the devil made me do it. Uh, Growing up uh, in Lisbon, Portugal, we were missionaries surrounded by other sort of traditional missionaries. And there was one family in particular I would uh, babysit for this family. And they saw the devil, you know, like behind every corner and every cabinet, or circumstance. I can remember they would miss the train, which was a regular occurrence. Spiritual warfare. The devil just doesn't want us to, you know, ride this train. Their luggage would get lost as they flew through the airports of Europe. The devil is at work. They would get a cold, a sniffle, a cough. No, the devil has, is breaking us down their children would misbehave, which was often. And they would say, cosmic powers are at work. No, like sometimes we don't leave on time. (laughs) Sometimes germs exist. Sometimes we give our children sugar and never tell them no, and they misbehave. Sometimes the world is so broken it loses our luggage. See, there's there's this view that what the devil does is disrupt your life and all of the circumstances of your life. Like that what the devil is really going to do is just break the logistics and interrupt what would make your seemingly comfortable life uncomfortable for a moment. And this is purely an American take on spirituality. That that when things are good, uh, God is good. When things are bad, the devil has made it bad. Instead of acknowledging a world that's very broken, and acknowledging a peace that comes from knowing Christ that surpasses all understanding and all circumstance. See, the, the enemy isn't sort of configuring uh, ways to make you annoyed. He's trying to steal your very soul. Not trying to disrupt your flow in the day. He's trying to remove all joy and love and contentment in Christ. The, the weapons are these flaming darts of the evil one have much more to do with, with these sorts of weapons that I'm about to describe, these sorts of lies in the midst of your circumstances, much more than the devil doing something in to create poor circumstances. For example, the enemy will take something bad where, or your struggle that you have when you're serving your spouse or serving a friend or you're doing your job that you've been doing faithfully for a long time, and then you hear in the midst of your frustration, some simple voice that says, you are above this. You're above this. What are you doing serving or caring for these people? You don't belong doing this sort of work. You're so much better than that. Or, Maybe you're, you're caring for friends or you find yourself in the midst of a community that loves one another and you're loving them and you're participating in this grand, wonderful life and then something comes and tells you you are actually below this. You don't belong in these relationships. You're not good enough to be here. You don't uh, have what it takes. What are you contributing to this good, friendly community? If they really knew who you were, everyone would understand you've not achieved enough to be in this group, to be part of this thing. Or when you're trying to live this faithful life, doing what Paul has called us to do, walking away worthy of love, and you're doing it all in struggle, you're trying to obey, you're trying to trust Jesus, you're trying to do all these things, you want to see your neighbors, come to know Jesus, you put yourself all in, and then you hear, if you were better at this, it would all be easier. But every struggle, every trial, is simply... Proof that you're not good enough. Every obstacle in trying to live out a life of love is really just evidence that, like, you have no business being here. Or the flaming dart might sound like this in the similar moment. If your dream, if your calling in life, if the passions that God has given you, if they're not happening right now, they never will. You should just give up on living a life of faithfulness and endurance. Or perhaps the most pervasive one amidst a whole variety of circumstances is simply the statement, you are alone. You're alone. No one is coming. No one cares. No one's concerned with you. If God was concerned with you, He wouldn't have you do these hard things. If God was concerned with you, He would have shown up by now in some miraculous way. You are alone. And these lies, those are five, at least are very good for me. Those work well on me. Maybe for you, you have your own uh, well-crafted, well-written, personal Lies directed towards you. But the spiritual forces of evil will not stop until you are bathed in so much lies that they sound like truth. See, the the schemes of the devil are not uh, blatant crazy lies that like, how could anyone believe these? They're the kind of lies that you hear and you say, that sounds about right. And regardless of circumstances, the evil cosmic powers of this world will not stop until all joy has been choked out of you. And you are so busy distracting yourself trying to find comfort or so disillusioned with your spouse or your friends or your loved ones or your community that you cannot utter a single word of worship to God. See, what what Paul is saying and what he is assuming is that we would all know that there is a very real presence of evil in this world. And it is creepy. Hopefully some of us feel a little creeped out. And it is also very ordinary. It's not like a Frank Peretti novel, if you've ever read those. I can now see who grew up in a very Christian fundamentalist home if you know what a Frank Peretti novel is. It's not uh, all the exorcists or ghostbusters. It's a very real, ordinary power that destroys us. And it's not a power of this force of, well, it's just like the marketing in this world. Or it's just my baggage. It's simply an evil out to get you. It's constant and it's strategic. It's not random and uh, irregular. C.S. Lewis wrote this really well. He said, the enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. (laughs) That the enemy will not see you come and take hold of a life of resurrection, as we've read about everything that Paul says in Ephesians. He will not see you go from death to life without setting his entire self on reclaiming you, on pulling you out. The devil is in pursuit. And Paul says, remain strong and stand against it. In this wrestling match, with armor. Uh, I was tempted to try to, you know, go to the military surplus store and get all dressed up like a military person uh, or pull out my old, uh, you know, we were at the dollar store a few days ago on Black Friday. Because on Black Friday, everything at the dollar store is a dollar. (laughs) But I was tempted, you know, like buy some swords and some helmets and some, you know, battle fatigues. But, But... But with the uh, resisting the temptation to make too much of this metaphor that Paul gives us, he's simply saying, there is a battle that's waging against your very soul. Put this stuff on. He says, truth. What you've been given in this battle is truth. Truth that, that God is who he says he is. That the world is really operating the, wor- the way that God says the world is operating. That the story of all creation and rebellion and promise and restoration is true. That, that if you were to put on and to, to buckle yourself up into that truth, nothing could harm you. But he goes on, he says, there's also righteousness in this battle and this wrestling that you have, you've been given righteousness that you stand before God as a pure, holy, beloved child. That because of who Jesus is, because of his blameless life, his death, his resurrection for you, you stand in the face of all of these lies and all of these schemes, and you get to be declared the right one of God. He also says you've been given a readiness. That this battle is is being waged, but it's not this one in which you have to cower in a bunker, but you've been given a readiness, an ability, a speed that's been given to you by the gospel of peace. That what we read in in chapter 2, when it says that we were once far off from God, we've been brought near by the message of peace in Jesus that we experience the shalom, this things put right within our souls that nothing can destroy us. He also says we've been given faith to use in all circumstances. Not just faith in some of the circumstances. One of the things that could get missed in this letter is how much and how often Paul is in prison. And yet he writes these letters filled with hope and joy and confidence, as if he wasn't in chains by the most powerful empire in the world. But that we would have faith, a confidence in the things that we cannot see, but a confidence in the One who has raised us from the dead. That regardless of whatever would happen, whatever disease we might get or whatever job we might lose or whatever failures we might come to in this world, we would have a lasting faith in the goodness and the perseverance of God's faithfulness towards us. He also says we've been given salvation. That we were all sinners. But I've been saved by grace. Not from our works, so none of us get to boast or be proud or excited. But this this tool that we've been given in this battle against the spiritual forces is salvation itself. That none of these lies make sense because we've been saved. And then he ends with that we've been given the spirit, which is the word of God. That as we encounter this battle that's waging, we've been actually handed the very presence of God into our lives. That the same power that led Jesus to do all of His miracles or allowed Him to teach with such authority or even walk out of the grave, that same Spirit is given to you. It's the very Word of God. The very message of God is given to you. And now you can't help but look at this list of things that God's given us for this battle without realizing, one, that's what this whole book has been about. But also you can't help but look at this list without realizing this is every spiritual blessing that Paul describes in chapter 1 when he says that anyone who is in Christ, God God destined before the foundations of the world that anyone who would be found in Christ would have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And Paul is saying, look, you have the goods. Anyone who is a child of God receives these things. And nothing can destroy that. This is the inheritance that you're given from our good Father. This is the stuff This armor of God is not some add-on thing of like, well, I've got my normal Christian life, but this morning I need to put on the belt of truth. He's saying, no, this is how you're clothed. This is who you are. You are a person made in Christ for the waging war of this world. And you've been given everything Every possible spiritual blessing, and you will not lose, and you will not fail. And none of these lies or these cosmic powers, as creepy or as weird as they sound, could ever do anything to you. Paul begins this this whole passage in verse 10 saying, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This whole conversation about the devil and the armor of God says one basic truth. Jesus is greater and stronger. He's simply more. That there's not a yin-yang battle happening in the universe where the devil's pretty good at offense, but you know, Jesus is good at defense and special teams. So maybe it'll be a good game. <laughs> no, it's not some sort of evenly fought battle between a, a really powerful good God and a really powerful bad God. No, the stuff of truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the Spirit of God Himself, that has so much more than the schemes of the devil. And so Paul says, be strong and take your strength and the might of Jesus himself. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson uh, wrote this to all of us who are unsure if we can muster the strength, if we can uh, grab hold to to the right amount of faith. He says, the weakest faith, probably mine, gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. He says the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as the strongest faith. That in this battle for our souls and this wrestling that we do with the evil one, what God grants to each of us is the same resurrected, powerful, over all heavens, Jesus. Jesus. Christ is higher than all heavens. He is over every wickedness. He stands as the conqueror, and we belong to him. Uh, I cannot remember if I've told this story or not. So if I have, I'm sorry. You won't remember. Uh, If you're one of those people that remembers every story I've told, then kudos to you. A+. plus. Uh, But I had a professor, same one, spiritual warfare professor, still don't remember anything he taught, just like the conversations afterwards. But he he was talking one day about how his son uh, joined the military. And when he joined the military, the army, he went to boot camp. And at boot camp, he was given strong drill sergeant. It's just like the movies. They're yelling at him, spitting at him, telling him to do push-ups and jumping jacks and run all over the hills and shoot guns and crawl in the mud like boot camp. Uh, I did boot camp for a while. Uh, it was in a gym with 70-year-olds, and I was very good at that boot camp. The boot camp that, that my professor was describing that his son went through is nothing like that, Right? And one of the things that they're instilling in them constantly is you obey your superior. Like you do whatever they tell you to do. But then he said at the end of this boot camp, his son graduated and, and gets enlisted and he's handed his marching orders. They do this big ceremony, but at the end they're just handed a piece of paper and it says, hey, now you're supposed to go to North Carolina and serve the army there. Here are your orders and here's your new Superior, your new commanding officer. My professor said, you know, what would be really weird is if my son got that letter, looked at who his new commanding officer was, walked out the door, and then his drill sergeant came up to him and said, hey, drop and give me 50. And it would be even weirder if my son said, oh, drill sergeant, sure, and dropped and gave him 50 push-ups. It'd be strange because the drill sergeant has no power or authority over his life anymore. But far too often for us, we've been patterned in this world by the schemes of the devil. And we've been doing whatever he says our whole lives. But then in Christ, we've been given all truth, all righteousness, all salvation, all peace, all faith. We've been given the Spirit of God Himself. And then the devil comes to us and says, you're not worthy. You don't belong. Do this instead. And we say, yes, sir, to the devil who has no right to our lives. I think that's why Paul continually tells us in this last section, do not allow the schemes of the devil, to become the schemes of your life. Do not allow His reign over you to continue. Because He has no power. Then he, He goes on. In verse 18, He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, he says, to that end, keep alert, to that end, for this purpose, this, this thing that we're after. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, which that sounds great. I mean, I think that could go, uh, that could be like a motivational book, right? Keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance. But this, I think, is what's really weird when we think about spiritual warfare. Because what he says next is not, I don't think, like boogeymen in closets. He says, keep alert, have all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. The thing that, that we're to be alert on and persevere in is prayer for Christians. Prayer for our fellow saints, our fellow holy ones. He says, the purpose of this whole battle, the purpose of this war that's going on, is about us being per- uh, strong in prayer. Us being persistent in supplication, which is just a fancy word for on our needs, begging, pleading to God a humble groveling to God on behalf of all the saints, on behalf of Paul's ability to proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the good news of Jesus, that we would pray that we, one another, would have the power and the boldness and the right words to say the good news of Jesus to the world around us. Paul wants us to stand opposed to darkness and persist in prayer. That the the main thing that, that the enemy is doing is keeping us from that union with Christ and that perseverance, that begging, that pleading on behalf of the community of saints and on behalf of the gospel being proclaimed at all. Paul is saying that just to have the ability to go out there in the world... And tell people about Jesus, I need all of you to be persistent in this battle and be on your knees, groveling and pleading with God that I would have the right words to say. See, the battle is not about our state of mind or about our happiness or about our stress levels. You know, I started saying, you know, even this week, I've struggled in this battle, and I can tell you with all honesty, I didn't pray for you at all. Like, the idea of praying for you was not a thing I was aware of. The idea of, you know, getting ready to preach, that came up a lot, because I don't want to look like an idiot. But the idea that I would be on my knees praying that God would give you all perseverance and strength, that you would be able to continue in salvation and faith in this world, did not come up. Neither did I I had all these chances to hang out with friends that do not know Jesus. And all I could think about when I was doing that was, I wonder how long I have to be here because I have my own problems. This is how the enemy wins and this is what it's all about. Not about changing your state of mind or decreasing or increasing your stress levels. The spiritual forces of darkness are not trying to bum you out. They are trying to oppose you Oppose your God-given, resurrected purpose in this life, which is to make the goodness of God known. And and the the evil forces in this world, the devil himself, will use a million things to do that. And what Paul is saying is stand firm, stand against that in the strength of Christ, which surpasses all other things, and make God known. Tim Chester uh, says this about spiritual warfare, what all I just said, but much better. He says, Spiritual warfare is not about naming territorial spirits or claiming the ground or binding demons. It is all about the gospel. It is to live a gospel life, to preserve gospel unity, to proclaim gospel truth. It is to do this in the face of a hostile world, a deceptive enemy, and our sinful natures. And it is to pray to a sovereign God for gospel opportunities. Advance, advance in this war comes through godliness, unity, proclamation, and prayer. Uh, It makes me think a lot, this whole passage about China. Uh, And about the inland uh, Chinese mission. Uh, Not about the current state of the Chinese church where there's, you know, thousands of people are baptized every day, they can't print enough Bibles to keep up with the people coming to faith or train enough pastors and good theology to help this work continue. I'm talking about this inland uh, Chinese mission which existed uh, a long time ago. And it wasn't a movement really at all, Uh, it was a handful of these. Uh, educated elites in England. They were called the Cambridge Seven, so I guess more than a handful. Uh, one of them was Hudson Taylor, another Robert Morrison, and, and they were uh, these people that were given all this privilege. Uh, they, were, uh, they didn't just go to Cambridge, they went and they were great at it. They excelled in school. They excelled in public speaking. They were on their way to being the most important people in the country of England. But instead of doing that, they all got on boats and went to China. uh, You know, very far from England in every possible respect. And now they're famous. So you can go Google it or you can find books and books and books by Hudson Taylor and about his life. But they're famous not for uh, seeing a whole bunch of people come to know Jesus. In fact, they saw very few people come to know Jesus. Uh, they're, they're not famous for an incredible good works that they did. They, they served all the time. Yet, I mean, the, the basic infrastructure of China didn't change while they were there. In fact, by the time of Mao, uh, the first communists in China... And by the time they banned religion altogether in that country, most missionary experts had already written off China as an unreachable. Like, it will never be reached. No one will ever believe the gospel in that country. That's how they were designated. These missionaries seemingly wasted their lives. These smart, brilliant people. And they were famous for prayer, though. They were famous for getting on their knees every day, pleading with God for a revival that they would never see. Pleading for friends that they loved. Pleading and asking God supplication for one to another. They prayed all the time. They spent the best years of their lives laboring without any fruit at all. Despite the decades of sharing the good news of God, of learning Chinese, of dressing like Chinese people, they never got anywhere close to what they prayed for. And yet, even today, the house church movement in China that began in the 1960s nearly a hundred years after they were gone. Or, uh, not that long. Uh, I'm bad at math at the moment. A long time after they left. There was a movement that began and erupted in China... It was actually built on their foundation of the few converts that they did made, who made new disciples, who made new disciples of the the movement that they created of calling people to pray for China all over the world erupts into what is now the fastest growing segment of the church in the world. The revival that they prayed for came. It was just decades after they, they had died. Yet they faithfully served with great personal cost, and they bruised their knees in prayer. When I read this passage, I just think about that as the real battle. In Los Angeles, what we're we're wrestling with is more than flesh and blood. It's more than like uh, consumerism or... Uh, people being really committed to their work or being too busy or too much traffic or how expensive it is here or any of those other things. It's more than just a post-Christian secular culture. What we're battling with, what we're waging for in this city is more than what we see and that battle will be won in prayer. and prayer that we would proclaim the Gospel boldly. That we would be faithful, that we would endure, that we would shape our lives around the truth and the righteousness and the salvation and the Spirit of God. So if you don't need to be on your knees, like if you're thinking about your life, your past week or your upcoming week, you're like, there's probably no need for me to be on my knees on behalf of the Christians that I know. Or if you don't need to go and beg to God for the boldness to utter the name of Jesus to your friends. If you're not worried about what you're going to do when you hang out with your friends next. And you're not wondering, I hope God gives me the proper words that the Gospel would come to life for them. If you're not uh, considering, when will I set aside time for me to get before God and beg God to give my community hope amidst our unique calling, then you might just be someone who's given up on the battle altogether. The spirit of, of dark forces are not after you. You're boring. You're not doing... like you've, They've already won that battle with you. My fear for our church is not that the spiritual battle... Uh, will destroy us, like oh man! I think there's some of us we could just be get taken out by this spiritual battle. It'll it'll wear us down. My biggest fear is that we will not show up for the battle at all. We won't even be there. We'll show up for one another. We'll show up for having a good time together. But the battle that would require us to stand strong in the strength of Christ's might, we don't need. We're not there. The battle that would require us to stay alert and persevere in making supplication for all the saints, yeah, that battle doesn't have anything to do with us. That's my fear. That we would lose sight of the joy of proclaiming the mystery of the Gospel. That we would miss out on this unbelievable opportunity to rely on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus in every aspect of our lives because we're giving our entire lives for a revival we might see or not see. But that we are so committed to seeing the Kingdom of God come in this place, in this city, that we will be at war. That we will have to be dressed up in what feels like armor. But that we would engage in it all the while with complete confidence that Jesus is greater and the might of Him cannot be overcome by schemes or cosmic powers or arrows with flames in them or authorities or rulers. That we would be so confident that we wouldn't care who our president is, or who our congresspeople are, or what proposition gets passed or doesn't get passed, but that we would have a steadfast confidence that whatever comes, our Savior in heaven is stronger, and the justice He's called us to do is bigger. Paul finishes this letter uh, with his little greeting. Uh, I love his the way he talks. He says hello in the beginning and then he writes forever and at the end, he's going to give them a greeting. Uh, But this is what he says. In verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, I've probably just said things that are hard and strong, but I love us as a church. Like, I, I love us as a people. And what I pray is what Paul says, that we would have peace with one another. That we would have love that comes from faith, that comes from our good Father, that comes from Jesus. And then he ends, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. This last two words defines the entire book. Love incorruptible. Augustine, the the famous saint of Hippo, uh, described evil as something that comes and corrupts good. And that evil continues to corrupt good and good and good until there's an absence of goodness. In whatever thing, in creation, in the human heart, in society, that's what evil is doing. It's slowly corrupting. Over and over again. And then, evil, pure evil itself, is not an opposition to good, it's a devouring of good. At the end, Paul says, I pray that you will all love Jesus with a love incorruptible. That Jesus would woo your heart amidst all the hard things that you're doing. That you would understand the love that he's been given, that's been given to you. And that our love for Jesus would come without any ability to be corrupted at all. This is really good news. That Jesus has loved and given us every spiritual blessing. That he's called us into a purpose that's so much greater than ours. Uh, That we were all dead in sin but have been raised to Christ. We've all been made new as a masterpiece of God. Given good works to do, prepared before we were even born to walk in let 's pray Jesus, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we would be uh, become dependent on you uh, in you. Uh, We've seen all sin and death and wickedness conquered. You are victorious. You are doing uh, your will in this city. You are the king even though you're contested here. Jesus, I pray for us us as a church that we would stand uh, firm in faith, in truth, in love, that we would be... uh, Yeah, just a remarkable people marked by who you are. I pray for these words that were shared. I pray that they would uh, take root and that uh, any confusion I've said would be squared away in the power of your spirit. That we would know and trust and rely on just your goodness. And that we would live to make you known. What an honor it is to be part of your family. Thank you, Father. Amen.